Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Today's episode, we'll be discussing how to attract fauna with flora. Specifically today, we'll be talking about hummingbirds, and we have very special guest, Dr. Taylor Clem with UF with us today. Welcome, Taylor. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're so happy to have you back on again. So for our listeners, why don't you just tell them a little bit about yourself and give a little bit of your background? Sure. So I am currently serving as the Environmental and Community Horticulture Agent UF IFAS Extension in Alachua County, and I also serve as the Master Gardener Volunteer Coordinator there. Part of my program or my projects, I come into UF IFAS Extension with a background of landscape architecture and landscape design, design, a sustainable design, as well as a horticulture's background. So I came into UF IFAS Extension about two years ago, and my program within Alachua County and as well as helping maintain and, or manage the Master Gardener volunteers, is really serving as a horticulture outreach specialist for the University of Florida. So anything related to like the Florida-friendly landscaping program, water conservation, how to protect water quality, and then even how do we grow sustainable foods within our backyard to make sure that we're helping eat healthy. And one big part of that that I do really has to do with how do we design and maintain landscapes for wildlife that or have biodiverse uh, landscapes. So we're looking at both diversity and flora and fauna. But my background with landscape architecture and landscape design kind of led me where I'm at today. And that background looking at the sustainability and looking at biodiversity design has really got me to the point where when I work with homeowners or community members, uh, we really look at when we're putting together designing or putting together landscapes or designing landscapes, what's the best way that we can have them as functional beyond just aesthetics? And that functionality can really come down to what are the benefits that we receive from landscapes? So that thought and practice kind of really pushes the program that we have here in Latchua County. Heather, that's awesome. You have an amazing background and we're just so thankful for all that you do here within our community. Thank you. So today I want to get into a little bit of talking about uh, attracting fauna with flora and specifically hummingbirds. And I know that's one of my favorite birds. I just think they're so pretty and they're just mm-hmm. so unique about them, how they just seem to just float. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but for some of our listeners, they may not be familiar with, you know, um, how to recognize a hummingbird or what they do or what their benefits are. So I was hoping that you could give some background and some info on hummingbirds. Absolutely. So I too agree. I've, I've grown up, you know, watching hummingbirds and the one that we see the most here in Florida, I um, and just in the Midwest and the East Coast in general is that ruby-throated hummingbird. But just like most hummingbirds, you know, we recognize them primarily on their sides. They are the smallest birds and they can average somewhere around like two to four inches. I um, mean, they can weigh less than an ounce in some, some instances. So they're tiny little birds, but my goodness, they can fly across the sky at significant speeds for their size. They are within the family that's uh, Trochilidae, and that's just a, just a big classification of different types of birds. 
but all hummingbirds fall within that family. But when we look up into the sky and we try to identify what a hummingbird is or how to differentiate, you know, it might be a cardinal or a robin or a chickadee or a titmouse uh, from a hummingbird is, like I said, it's the size, but also right. just agility. You know, they, they are the only bird that has the ability to kind of hover, stop, right. go left and right. They can fly upside down, backwards. You know, it's, it, it's remarkable. <laughs> It really is. I think that that's one of like my fondest memories of visiting with my grandparents when I was younger. Um, they had the hover feeders and to just yeah. sit, watch them come, like you said, and just hover. And then just the, the beautiful colors on them as well. It was just, I don't know, just something amazing to watch. Yeah. And, you know, that, that is one of the most striking parks about hummingbirds is not only it's, a, it's agility and flight, but it's it's colors. You know, they are, I mean, they're beautiful birds. I learned recently, I was like, why is it, you know, like the ruby-throated hummingbird? I started asking myself, why is it that you have that such a cool color on their throat? And so many other hummingbirds have that bright color. So essentially it has to do with like, there's just like oxygen, or within like the feathers and it's like how the light is reflect refracting off of those feathers and it creates those different colors but that like the technical term for that colorful neck banding on those hummingbirds is called a gorget which i thought was just kind of interesting and neat (laughs) definitely an interesting word there yeah (laughs) so what makes hummingbirds i mean we know that hummingbirds tend to hover which other i've never seen any other bird do the way a hummingbird does Mm -hmm. and clearly like i said they're so tiny and and i just think that they're sweet (laughs) yeah (laughs) are there any other major differences in hummingbirds and other birds and and how we attract them absolutely so like hummingbirds like just at least differentiating them from other birds is they're very recognizable by their very long beaks and they have the long tongues that go with it. And that's why we look at how we attract them in our landscapes different than other birds. You know, we could put out a bird feeder where we just have like seeds or there's other types of bird feed or bird food that we can have with the landscapes, jellies. But with the hummingbirds, they've evolved with certain flower types. So they don't have the diet of regular birds if we're looking at, you know, worms or the bird seed, like I mentioned, they primarily have a liquid diet. When they're younger, I believe, they to help build up fat stores, they will eat some small insects and spiders so they can migrate, but they are primarily a liquid diet bird. So they've evolved to have that long beak and they've evolved with specific flower types. So that beak can enter into long tubular flowers and uh, then their little tongue flicks in and they just drink the nectar. So they get all their food source pretty much from nectar of flowers. So they've evolved with that long beak compared to other birds so they can get in and drink nectar out of flowers versus other food sources birds might eat. It's so funny that you say that, Taylor, because like I said, just referring back to the memories I have, just like I said, being younger, especially like with my grandparents, um, and I'm sure so Mm -hmm. many can relate to this memory, but I think everybody's parent or grandparent had that hummingbird feeder that was clear <laughs> that had like the red, almost hibiscus looking flower with yeah. all- <laughs> to feed the hummingbirds. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I think of a hummingbird feeder, I have that same imagery in my head. <laughs> That's so funny. I think, like I said, a lot of people can relate to that. So if we were to create an ecosystem that attracted hummingbirds, what would we do and how would we achieve that? 
Yeah, so I always like to talk about like when we attract animals to our landscape, whether it be birds, other pollinators, or you know, it could be something like small mammals, um, any type of habitat that we create. We always think about what are the needs of survival or how can they survive and be happy in a landscape? So we can look at like the technical term of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where where are those basics of surviving? You know, we talk about that a lot in the human context, but that's so true in the animal world too, where we're looking at food, water, safety, ability to reproduce. Those are the basics of all survival, not just for humans, but for every living thing. So I always like to think of, you know, that hierarchy of needs, putting that in the landscape. But a simpler way that I start to put it is, you know, say you were stranded on a desert island. Um, what would you need to survive? If you talk to like people like, you know, Bear Grylls or some of those other survival experts, they're going to say like the first thing you do is you build shelter. Then you create fire, then you get water source, and then you create food. So those are the things like the basic needs in order to survive. And if we want to attract like hummingbirds or other birds or anything, uh, any wildlife to our landscape, we need to think about those basic needs that that wildlife needs in order to be happy, healthy, and successful within the landscape. Speaking of, I have birds flying over my house right now, so you probably picked those up. I apologize. <laughs> no, that, that's just great for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but we have some whistle ducks that live close by. But anyways, so we think about the basic needs that the wildlife need and how can we provide those. So with hummingbirds specifically, you know, do they have the ability to find shelter or protection, you know, from predators so they don't become prey, but also so they can have a place where they can nest. Now, hummingbirds, they prefer to nest around water bodies, but that you can still provide those needs for them within your landscape if you're not close to a water body. You know, so then you start thinking about water and food sources. Water can be easily provided to birds, like simple bird bass will attract all sorts of birds. But, you know, one of the things that we think about is food or that nectar that they need to have. We mentioned that we think about those traditional red hummingbird feeders. You know, those work, but, you know, that's a relatively good substitute for uh, hummingbirds, but it's not going to be necessarily the best. So if you want to attract more hummingbirds to the landscape, you need to include a diversity of plants or food sources for them because then they're going to come and be more attracted to that landscape. Pretty much going back to simplify that answer is you just provide the basic needs that they need to survive. And you have to tailor it based off of the species, but that's going to be a great way to attract them to your landscape. Awesome. Now, when we think about hummingbirds, they're pollinators. So how do they fulfill that role and how does that help us create a healthy ecosystem? Yes. So, you know, when I mentioned earlier, the hummingbird has evolved, so it has that long beak. Um, so we can poke into those long tubular flowers. And in some instances, the flowers will also evolve with the, the fauna. So the flora will evolve with the fauna purely for reproduction purposes. It grows this longer beak. It can go up into the flowers and it tries to suck out all the nectar. But when they're sucking up that nectar, their face is all up in the flower and they pick up the pollen in that way. And then they just transfer it flower to flower. So that is how they perform that role as a pollinator. And it's so important because when we think about diversity and health of uh, our ecosystem, we need to make sure that we have a diverse genetic population. 
Taylor, one of the things that I think is important in this episode is also talking about how mental health connects to nature. Right now, like I said, with the pandemic going on, most of us are quarantining, staying home, working remotely, limiting our trips out. And that really, you know, leaves us limited in what we can do. And I know for myself, I really enjoy being outside and and being able to take in nature and the garden that we have here. And so I'm sure a lot of other people do that as well. So if you could just touch on like a little bit about like, you know, how one's mental health connects to nature and for people that are enjoying bird watching and being out in their yards right now, when they can expect to see hummingbirds. Yeah, so, you know, the hummingbirds, they're migratory species. So we're going to primarily see them in, in like maybe late February, early March. Um, they're flying north actually from like uh, Central America, like around Panama, Mexico area. They actually hang out for a bit, I believe, over on the, around the Yucatan Peninsula. For some of them, just make a beeline across the Gulf of Mexico and just a flight, uh, straight flight. But we'll see the males actually pop up first. And then a little bit later, the females start to come up behind them. And they come in waves. Um, and that was kind of developed in such a way to make sure that there's some major weather event, that there's still a significant population. So that's just like an evolutionary behavior nonetheless. But we'll see them start popping up in March, especially around Alachua County area. You know, you can go outside right now and you can start seeing them fly around. They're flying all over the landscape. Going back to the, the point of the, the, the question, you know, when we talk about mental health or we're talking about those benefits of gardening or spending time outside, you know, it could be bird watching in this instance, looking out for hummingbirds. You know, one of the biggest things is I'm not a mental health expert, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, we really see, at least when we're promoting wellness associated with gardening and spending time outside, it just slows you down. It slows you down. It helps build mindfulness because we're inundated constantly through technology. And this is gardening is a great way to help us unplug. And one of our master gardener volunteers, in fact, her name is Lee Deals. She's actually a horticulture therapy specialist with the University of Florida. And she helps oversee some of the program at Wilmont Gardens. But so she could go into a lot of detail about those benefits, those health benefits of gardening and horticulture. When we take that time, when we go outside, we're able to slow down our breathing. We're able to focus more on what we're doing in that moment. We're able to kind of just relax and breathe and be, be at peace for a little bit. So it slows us down. And gardening is a great way for both physical and mental health, or even just sitting out and watching the birds. It can be incredibly relaxing. One of my biggest memories that I have is when I was growing up, I visit my grandparents' house and they had a patio on their back porch and I would sit there at night with them and we would watch the deer come in. We'd watch some of the birds come in in the evening to nest, see some of the other wildlife kind of scurry around the backyard. And that was always to me a very peaceful moment in my memory because, you know, we're slowing down, we're stopping, we're appreciating the things that are around us. And we can get that same thing from just going out into our gardens and spending time with, you know, digging in the dirt, planting plants that'll attract different pollinators or other fauna or wildlife. And being able to see them builds respect and connection to the environment where we typically have been disconnected. So rebuilding that relationship can be very beneficial to us as well. My grandmother still to this day, uh, I think she probably has the, the prettiest yard on her road. She takes such pride 
gardening and her flowers and her bird baths. And that's kind of like, I think where she gets her serenity as well is that she can just go sit out on the porch and her rocker on her porch swing and just really enjoy her yard and the, the hard work and time that she's put into it. I mean, she's 86 mm-hmm. and she probably spends more time in her than, than most people my age, just because it's such a great pleasure for her. And I think that it really, like I said, it helps keep her mind sharp and it just helps give her that, that place of peace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when I speak with master gardeners, the volunteers, or just other community members, you know, they get that, they always talk about those same rewards from working within their gardens is, you know, you have significant pride in what you, the work that you've accomplished, but also you have a lot of respect for all the natural processes that you're trying to either recreate or invite back into the landscape. You're creating an ecosystem or you're trying to reconnect the landscape to an ecosystem. And that's also, again, when you have to make sure that you're following best management practices for managing landscapes to make sure you're successful with that. It creates a significant reward for them, which I think ends up makes them keep coming back to gardening more and more. So for those of us, like I said, that really enjoy bird watching, we enjoy having our, our gardens flourish. What are some of the threats or the predators to hummingbirds and how can we really protect our efforts in attracting them to our yards? So I think that's a really great topic to bring up because, you know, within the urban environment, it's constantly changing. So we're having issues all over the place, not just for hummingbirds, but all types of biodiversity. Some of those biggest threats that we're seeing with hummingbirds, you know, come to like regards to climate change, habitat loss, um, invasive species, they can displace that natural habitat for them. Illegal trade has also been a big issue for hummingbirds in the past uh, and still has an issue with it and that has an impact. But one that sometimes people don't think about that actually can be a threat that's something that impacts us all locally is actually cats. Cats are significant predators. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what they are. Cats are predators and they will prey on hummingbirds. So it's really important that if we have outdoor cats that we're keeping them in line as, as best we can. I have cats, but we keep them indoors because that very reason is we don't want them to be a threat to the birds outside. But some of the biggest things, like I mentioned, there are going to be some of those threats are habitat loss because that's loss of you know, going back to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs or what are those basic needs, habitat loss, you're losing places for them to have shelter, to nest, to find food and water. Um, so that's why it's so important when we think about attracting hummingbirds to our landscape, you know, we're trying to recreate an environment for them that was once lost or could have been once within that landscape. So we're looking at not only the aesthetic value of putting a lot of these plants in that can attract hummingbirds, but they can be functional as well because they do provide those needs that were once lost with that habitat. Absolutely. Taylor, this has been so informative. I mean, I really hope that it it helps our listeners as well. Cause like I said, you know, during this time where we're all looking for things to do and adjusting to the new norm, I think that it's important that we have ways to just ground ourselves in nature and appreciate the things that we have around us. So I really Mm -hmm. appreciate being with us today and providing all this information. Um, If any of our listeners want to reach out to you to get more information on this topic, how can they contact you directly? Yeah, they can reach out to our county extension office in Alachua County. Uh, That phone number is 352-955-2402. Or you can email me directly at tclem, that's T-C-L-E-M, 
at alachuacounty.us, as in the United States. And I have a bunch of different resources that I can give to homeowners or anybody that's interested in attracting hummingbirds, not only hummingbirds, but other types of wildlife to the landscape. You know, what would be the best plants? What would be the best types of structure that they need within your garden to attract them and try to make it more successful? For anybody looking for more information, like I said, you can reach out to Taylor directly or you can contact us at foginfo.org. I will also have information on our website, so please join us there. And like I said, during this time, just be mindful, uh, stay safe, and we really hope that this episode helps you to attract Anna to your flora. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 